Good morning, everybody, and Merry Christmas. So glad to have you here. What that just resonated so much with me, what Pastor Gabe said. Thank you, Lord, for having so much to talk about. We have been so blessed this year. We've been so blessed as a church. We've so been so blessed individually. And I hope that your year has been that way too. I hope that you're able to look back and see, despite the maybe the ups and downs that we all have, that you are able to look back at the year and just say that that you were blessed, you know. And and as all of our eyes focus now, pretty much the whole world, believer and non-believer alike, our eyes focus on Jesus for at least this one day, if not for this season, right? And they it may not be a believer, but they know of Jesus and they know why Christmas celebrations are happening all over the world. And we get to partake in that, not just as observers, but as the beneficiary, as the beneficiary of the greatest gift ever given, ever received in the history of time. So I know those of you who are going like, I nailed it this year. You didn't nail it like God nailed it. God totally nailed it and blessed us so much. And we have so much to be thankful for. And I want to share with you just some scripture that points back to that. We're talking about messianic prophecy the last few weeks we have been. And we're going to wrap up that, that, uh, that series or that idea uh, this weekend. But there is so much in the Old Testament scripture that points to a coming Messiah that points to that coming gift. And it's important to understand that, that Jesus has always been God's plan. He wasn't, I've said it before, he's not God's plan B. He wasn't a, a scramble to see what he's got to do to fix our mess. Jesus has always been the plan and the way that God made for his people. And so we're going to go back and we're going to look at some scripture in that and when we go into Christmas, it's easy to see that sometimes Jesus and the gift take equal billing. I don't mean the gift of Jesus. I mean the gift under your tree, the gift that you went and shopped for, right? In our minds, in the world's minds in general, maybe. Jesus Christ and presence are almost equal billing, Right? We see that sometimes, and they may know of Jesus and, again, acknowledge him, but, but it, Christmas without gifts just doesn't make sense. And I think that's always been God's plan. It's always been God's plan to be the giver of the perfect gift to us. And we look all the way back, and I'm going to share some scripture with you today on how Jesus is our Passover lamb. Now, I know you're saying, hey, Passover, don't we normally talk about that at a whole different season? Don't we normally talk about that around Easter and other times? Yes, however, Jesus as our Passover lamb, again, is one of the greatest gifts that we could have ever received. And so as we, as we try to struggle with that, who gets top billing, the presence under the tree or Jesus Christ this time of year, I'm hoping none of us struggle with that. But I want to point out to you just one more reason why we should be so thankful and so grateful for the best gift that has ever been given. Okay, so we're going to go back. Again, I'm going to talk about some scripture about Passover. So we're going to go back to Exodus. 
We're going to go all the way back to Exodus, so let me kind of set the scene for you. Okay, this is, this is in Egypt. The Jewish people, the nation of Israel, has been enslaved by Pharaoh. Okay, and they're, uh, they're not uh, slaves living in the life of, of luxury, right? I don't know if there is such a thing. But they're, they're, being, they're subjected to hard work. To hard work. They're not allowed to practice their, their religion or worship their God openly in, in many ways. And they're, they're being treated like slaves, like anything other than God's chosen people. Let me just say that. Picture yourself as one of them. You've been told that you're God's chosen person, uh, chosen nation. You, you believe that, and that's been your culture, and yet here you are enslaved and dominated, and you no longer have the will to do what you want. And this is where those people are. Now, at the point where the scripture that I'm going to share is where we are is God has already brought several plagues on Egypt. He's trying to get Pharaoh to to see the point and let his people go. So there have already been all kinds of plagues that that are hitting Egypt. And Pharaoh continues to say, no, I'm not going to let him go. I'm not going to let him go. So this is where we are. And I want to read the scripture to you. It's kind of a long one. But this is a nation. This is a nation and a people who believe that they're children of God, and yet they need deliverance big time. Because God has already done all these things. They've seen all this happening, and Pharaoh is just like, mm-mm, mm-mm, not going to go, not going to go. And so to set the scene for the scripture I'm about to read, God has actually darkened the skies. It's dark. It's been dark for three days now. And Pharaoh's starting to go, like, oh, okay, what I got to do to get the sun back? Maybe he's starting to soften a little bit. We don't know for sure. But he's still at this point refusing to let the Israelites go free. And while it's still dark, God comes to Moses. And God gives these instructions to Moses. So I'm going to read it to you, but I want you to listen to the detail. I want you to listen to the detail that God speaks directly to Moses on what's about to happen. This is out of Exodus 12. I'm going to read you verses 1 through 13. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire. 
and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it until morning, but whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And then he says this, last two verses. This is the Lord speaking. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. That's some detail. I'm glad with Moses and Aaron, and I hope they have better memories than me because I'd be going, wait, go back, what, on what day? I'm sure it had an impact on them to where they remembered what was said. But now it falls upon Moses. Now he's been told this. Now he's got to go to his people, and he's got to pass this along to them so that they can observe it as well. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and this is what we have. This is Exodus 12. Uh, 21 and 22. This one we have on screen. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel, gathers them together and says, go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood, which is in the basin, and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel, that's the part over the top of the door, and the two doorposts. And none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. Okay. So he's passing on these instructions. Now, imagine that you're one of the Israelite congregation, and you're hearing Moses say this, and you're going, okay, but why? Would you not be thinking that? Okay, but I get it, but why? This is where we are. So now Moses has to relay the why. And here we have Exodus 12, 23, 24, where he explains the why to them. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. Let's focus on this part. What kind of confidence is that? This isn't saying, and if it works out, it'll be good for us. And if all goes according to plan, we'll be free at this point. No. Moses is confidently declaring, you, for generations, you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. He's saying, remember this. Remember this night. This is going to be big, and it's going to be big forever. That is a confident declaration right there. Again, that's not, that's not let's see what happens. That's confidence. But then, a few verses later, a handful of verses later, he gives another instruction that turns out to be prophetic. 
He says, it is to be eaten in a single house. He's already said that, right? You are not to bring forth any of the flesh outside the house. I don't know if that's a, a, a covenant against potlucks or against leftovers. It might be. Might be. <laughs> but listen to this, the very last line. Nor are you to break any bone of it. Okay, remember that. Remember that for later. So this is the prophetic promise of a Passover lamb, a Passover lamb to come. And we find later in Scripture several places, but I'm going to share with you some New Testament Scripture that talks about the fulfillment of Jesus as our Passover lamb, as that gift to us. This is John 129. I'm going to read the next three to you. They're short. John 129 says, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him. This is John the Baptist. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The sin of the world. It's important to note there that that word sin doesn't, it's not a list of sins. It's not he takes away this and this and this. The sin, meaning blanket statement, everything that we will ever do, everything that we have ever done is being taken away by our Passover lamb, the lamb of God. John 19, 36, for these things shall come to pass to fulfill the scripture. Not a bone of him shall be broken. Now, if you remember when Jesus was crucified on the cross, typically the way that they would crucify somebody is that they would break their legs so that they couldn't support themselves. And then they would suffocate, adding more horror to the, to the crucifixion. Jesus did not have his legs broken. He didn't have any bones broken at that point. Fulfills that scripture. Again, this is one of those things that I talked about a couple weeks ago. Jesus could not have manufactured that part of it. That wasn't up to him. But it was up to God, and that's how it came to pass. 1 Peter 1, verse 19 this is Peter actually talking to the, the Jews in the congregation, and he's saying, you were not redeemed with silver or gold, but with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. He's talking to the, to the Jews in his congregation, telling them about their redemption, about this gift of Jesus Christ. Now, if you know your, your biblical history, Jesus entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, right? Palm Sunday was also another day. It was five days before Passover, and it was also the day where devout Jews would choose their Passover lamb. So on that day when the Passover lamb was to be chosen, Jesus chose to present himself as the Passover lamb. So here's a question. Here's the question that I want to ask you guys. Jesus came to deliver us from these things. Jesus came to set us free. We hear this teaching all the time, right? And so we know this. Why, though, do we still need a Passover lamb? Or do we still need a Passover lamb? Ideas, Lori? Don't look at me. I nodded my head. I'll never do that again. Okay. 
Question, any, anybody, answers, throw out a, an idea. Do we still need a Passover lamb? Okay, I hear yes, I hear no. I hear yes, I hear no. Jesus came to set us free, right? Who enslaves us? Who enslaves us? Let's look at the next scripture. That's a good answer, John. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need a Passover lamb every single day. We need Jesus Christ every day because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Another scripture in Romans 6.23, I'll read it to you. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So sin, the wages of sin is death. Sin, in, you know, sin is not good. I think we all pretty much can agree on that, right? But is it really that bad? If we talk about the actual meaning of sin, sin is missing the mark. And if the mark is perfection, what if we're just one degree off? What if instead of hitting the bullseye, we just hit that next ring? That's still pretty good, right? Still pretty good, but it's not good enough. It's not the best that God has for us. But here's the worst thing about sin. Sin has consequences far beyond just missing the best. Far beyond. Sin does this. Sin enslaves us. You ever heard of being a slave to sin? You've heard that word before? That's a very real thing. John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus actually says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Now, I'm not going to point at anybody. I'm going to try not to even make eye contact with anybody. <laughs> but how many times have you done something wrong, have you sinned, and now you're stuck with it? Now you're stuck with it like a weight around your neck that you can't get rid of. You either need to continue sinning to cover up the sin that you did, or you carry the burden of that shame. You literally, truly become a slave to that. Slaves don't have a will of their own, and this is what Jesus is pointing out to them, because they understood slavery back in those days. They knew that when you were a slave, you gave up the right to have basically thoughts and actions of your own. Every action, everything that you did was because your master told you to. And so when we become a slave to sin, we become engrossed and overwhelmed in this idea that I've either got to cover up for it or I've got to just hide my face in shame because of it. Or if you're really into it, maybe it's just you're just so focused on the next time that you're going to do it but we literally become a slave to it. It causes guilt, it causes shame, and here's an important thing, it causes us to fear being in God's presence. God wants that intimate communion with us, he wants to be with us, he wants his children to be with him. But it causes us in our guilt and in our shame to separate ourselves from him. 
God doesn't separate himself from us because of our sin. I want you to hear this. This has been taught many, many times in different ways in different churches that God can't be in the presence of sin. Who's heard that before? God can't be in the presence of sin. Ooh, there's sin. God, the shrinking violet, has to turn his back and walk away because I can't have anything to do with that. Does that look like the God that we know? Does that look like the God that created the heavens and earth and can rain down hellfire on his enemies and do anything that he wants to do? Does it seem like our God would have to run back? You've got sin on you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Does that seem like our God? If it does, then your theology has some issues in it because because Jesus was God. Jesus was God in the flesh, and Jesus hung out with sinners all the time. So yes, God can be in the presence of sin. You know where we get that? We get that from this kind of obscure uh, scripture in Habakkuk. When's the Who was reading Habakkuk this morning as their devotional? <laughs> Just me? Okay. In Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13, it says this. It says, this is, this is the prophet speaking to God. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. People take that, at least the first half especially, and they pull that aside and they say, God's too pure to have anything to do with evil. He can't even be in the presence of it. You can't even look upon it. Well, that's taken out of context because in context, Habakkuk is saying, but, but God, you're so pure and you're so perfect and you're so righteous, and yet you choose to not only allow this, these things to happen in your universe, but you hang out with those people. So Habakkuk isn't saying, God, you can't even see it. He's wondering why God allows this to happen. It's a question that he's posing to God. And yet we take that upon ourselves to say, God can't see my sin. I should just be in shame and I should just go hide. You know, there's no hiding from God. He knows your sin. He knows your thoughts. He knows where you are. And he knows that we're going to fall short of the mark. And that's why we need a Passover lamb every day. Because along with the freedom that God loves us so much to give us freedom to make our own choices, along with that freedom comes the very real probability that what? That we're going to make bad choices. He knows that's going to happen. That's why we need a Passover lamb. See, God's law, it's not there to enslave us or to put us in a cage so that we can't go out and hurt ourselves or, or make these bad choices. It's actually there to set us free. But God is a just God, and there has to be a price paid for our sin. He doesn't just look the other way. When I say God can be in the presence of sin, that doesn't mean he says, oh, it's all good, anything goes. No, there's many scriptures that I decided not to for, for time's sake to share with you. God abhors sin. God cannot stand sin. 
And there has to be a price paid. There has to be a price paid. That's why we need a Passover lamb. We need the Passover lamb in Jesus Christ to reconcile us to God. But here's the thing. The enemy uses that. And the enemy will use scriptures like that one in Habakkuk, which you've probably heard, just that first half spoken. We've heard that, and we take that, and we penalize ourselves. We take that sin in our lives, and we say, I can't come to God. I can't even pray because of that thing that I did this morning or last night or those thoughts that I'm having. I am not pure enough, perfect enough, repentant enough, whatever words you want to say. I am not enough to come to the Father. And so rather than Father God separating himself from us because of our sin, we separate ourselves from him. We turn our backs on God, much like Adam and Eve in the garden who because of sin, now they're aware, because of what they did, are now aware that they're naked and they feel shame. And they hide from God. See, when we hide from God, when we say, I can't go to church, I can't pray, I can't go to Bible study, I can't read my Bible, I can't, I can't, I can't, we are separating ourselves. And by doing so, we are refusing the gift that he gave us in Jesus Christ. We're saying that what Jesus did on the cross for us is not enough to cover my sin, what I did. Maybe yours was just a little minor infraction. Mine was big. And what Jesus did was nice and all, but it wasn't enough to cover me. Church, I want you to know that what Jesus Christ did on the cross for all of us as our Passover lamb, as, our, as the sacrifice for us in our place, that was enough. That was enough for everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought of, and everything that you ever will do. Jesus was our sacrifice. And that's the gift that we should recognize as we come into Christmas. Not the gifts under the tree, but the gifts that I can come to the Father anytime that I want because of what Jesus did. I don't have to carry that burden of shame. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying anything goes. Do whatever you want because God doesn't say that either. But he knows that we will sometimes. Sometimes we will miss the mark. Sometimes we will sin. And he's saying, I don't see that. When I look at you, I don't see the sin. When I look at you, when I look at you, I see my perfect child that my son Jesus paid the price for. And so we need to, on a time like this, on a day like this, on Christmas morning, we need to accept the gift of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. It's Christ's blood that's applied figuratively to your heart that causes darkness to pass over us. That's what Christmas is about, and that's why Jesus is our Passover lamb. Scripture in 1 John chapter 1, uh, verse 7 
But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If you have any doubts, if you have any doubts of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse you from sin once and for all and forever, remember that scripture. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. And so I want to ask you as we go into, again, as we go into Christmas, how are our lives better? Why should we celebrate on Christmas morning the birth of our Savior? Let me ask you, how's your life better because of Jesus? Does anybody have maybe a story, maybe a short testimony? How about we do that? How about, does anybody have a testimony of how their life is better since Jesus? That ought to be an easy one. We all ought to have something like that, right? Marcus. Oh, thanks for turning it off. Man. Well, my name is Marcus, and I was a prodigal son. I, I was into drugs real heavy. I drank till I could almost pass out. I was... I was there. I've been in a jail because of my sinning. And I woke up one day in jail and I said, you know, enough of this life. I need a new life. And that's when I gave my life to Jesus. And that's when Jesus took over. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? I know there's more. Yes. I'm Leah Carson, and I've grown up knowing the Lord all my life, but I definitely can say that in the past 10 years, as I really, really um, asked him to just change me, um, I am so much more free these days of anxiety and um, being self-conscious and just all those things that we all struggle with, and I just feel so much more free today as an adult. Um, just, I don't know, I just can't explain it. I, not that I don't ever worry, but I don't worry like I used to and fret and have anxiety. Um, I just, my identity is so much better than it used to be, and so I know that's Jesus. I, I know that's nothing I could have done in my flesh. And so I know he's real, and I thank him every day for everything that he's blessed me with. Amen. Thanks. Thanks. Anybody else? Here we are. Thanks. Did I mute you? Yes, I did. There. Good morning. My name is Deanna, and our family prayed for a church home, and we found one. So thank you for welcoming us, and thank God for um, leading me to Gabe, um, and thank God for this church. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. See, testimonies like that, and I'm sure everybody's got them. Everybody has them. And even if you didn't get to share it out loud, I want you to think about that. 
Situations like this, like the prodigal coming back, like lives change, anxiety is lifted, like somebody finding fellowship and acceptance in a place. That's not possible if we don't accept the gift of what Jesus did for us. Because there are many, many people in the world, in our communities, our neighbors, our friends, are sitting at home going, I would love to go to church. I would love to have a family to surround me, to pray with. I would love to just be able to pray. I would love to be able to read my Bible and and hear what I hear people talking about. God speaks to them. I would love to have that, but I'm just not in a good place. I've not done enough to make myself right before God. I'm still, I'm still in the midst of these, of these addictions or these sins or whatever I have, and, and so I can't. Church, that ought to be our prayer for those people is that they would understand and see the gift from God. Maybe there are people here right now who are going, I'm just, I made it here today, but I'm one of those people who feels somehow tarnished and tainted beyond. I feel that God's got his back turned to me because he can't look at me right now. Church, God is for you. God is for you, and he loves you, and he has done everything to try and make a way, and the only thing that he can't do is make you make the decision to accept that gift. And so that's what we're here for. So your reason to celebrate on Christmas morning should start right here. This is a promise from God delivered through the prophet Isaiah about 2,700 years ago. This is Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. This is the promise of a coming Messiah. The promise of a coming Savior, the promise of our Passover lamb was then fulfilled. Was then fulfilled 2,000 years ago to us in a little town, little insignificant, tiny little town called Bethlehem. I'm going to read this last part to you. This is Luke 2. This is verses 3 to 14, so it's a little long, but I want you to listen to this. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and who was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give her birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy 
I lost it, sorry. I'm going to back up. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among men. How many times have you heard it stop right there? And on earth, peace among men. It stops right there. There's a line at the end there that says, with whom he is pleased. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. You know why they drop off those last few words? Because it makes it sound like, well, what if he's not pleased with me? Church, I want to tell you, when it says, and peace on earth among men with whom he is pleased, God is pleased with you. God is pleased with you. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and start coming up. Despite what you may think, Despite what the enemy wants you to believe, God is pleased with you. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take upon him the punishment that we deserve. The judgment that we deserve for our sins and for our transgressions, Jesus took upon himself. So Christmas morning, and when you wake up and you're opening gifts... I want you to remember before you do anything, remember the greatest gift ever given has already been given and we get it every single day. Will you accept the gift? That's the only thing he can't do for us is make us accept it. So if you're here and you have accepted that gift and you understand that gift like so many of us, then, then praise God and hallelujah. But what if you're here and you don't know? What if you're here and you either don't know Jesus at all or you've heard of him, but you haven't accepted him into your heart? See, that communion that we can have with the Father is, is only possible through Jesus. And it's only possible through the cleansing blood of Jesus, which is freely offered to us. And so as I go into, just to conclude the message here, I want to pray. Maybe there are people here who either don't know Jesus at all, or they know of him, but they have not allowed him into their heart. Because that's all it takes. All we need to do is just say yes to him. It's not about a bunch of things we have to say or do. It's not about a meeting. It's just about saying, yes, I accept the gift of Jesus Christ given to me. And if that's you, and this is the first time maybe that you've ever said that, you've ever declared that in your entire life, I want to pray for you as I pray for the rest of us. So would you just join me in that? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, that that at this season especially, but every day, we get to celebrate the gift of your son Jesus as our Passover lamb to take upon the sins of the world onto his shoulders so that we don't have to carry that burden with us. Father, you are not turned away from us. You are not um, hiding your eyes from us. Father God, you are for us. 
you are for us and you love us and you show us every single day with every single breath we take that you are for us. And so Father, if there's anyone here listening to my voice right now who is feeling that tug for the first time that I need, I just need more. I need more than what I can do in my flesh. I need more than what I've had in my life so far. I need Jesus. If there's anybody that is saying that, Lord, I just pray that you would flood into their heart right now. If they have opened that door a crack, Lord, that you would flood in, you would kick that door in, and you would go into their living room and you would let them know how much you love them. You would let them know who you are to them and who you have always been to them. And Father, I just pray that you seal the realization of who they are and who you are in their hearts that they can walk in the blessing that is your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I love you. And we praise you and we lift your name up in here this morning. And we pray this in the only name that matters. And that's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. If you are here and you made that decision for the very first time, first of all, congratulations. But I know when I made that decision the first time, I didn't want to sit around and talk to somebody. I didn't want to like, okay, let's go into a separate room and let's show you what this means now. If you're here, we have a couple ways. Number one, we have prayer team in the back that would love to pray with you and just talk to you about what that means. I'll be here after service and I'd love to do that. We have a small book, a decent sized book, a green book in the back there. It's just called the New Believer's Handbook. And it's just a bunch of answers to questions that we have when we first give our heart to Christ. If you know of somebody who could use that, even if it's not you, please feel free to grab one of those on the way out. They're on that table back by the door. But now that we have a realization of that gift, and now that maybe there's somebody here who has realized that gift for the very first time was meant for them, was always meant for them, let's take communion together. Let's take communion together and celebrate what Jesus did for us. So at the crosses, we have self-serve there. We've got juice, we've got bread. You can dip it in, serve yourself or your family if you would like. Up front, Gabe and I will have the wine and the bread, and we would love to serve you. But in Luke chapter 22, 19 to 20, Luke actually documents how this goes. And he writes this, and when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten saying, this is cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood take it and drink church that's what it takes to accept that gift of Jesus we just have to say yes amen thank you church
we close out our Christmas service, we're going to close it out with probably the most traditional song. So we're going to ask that everybody stand with us. And not only just sing Silent Night with us, but I really want you to, it's something that it's kind of imprinted in our brains, but we really don't think about the words all the time. So really focus on what this song is saying and the promises that it's fulfilling throughout all the lyrics. his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
and he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. So we're going to sing one more verse of silence you to lift your voices because that's all that's going to be musically right now. We're going to stop playing. We want to sing together. Christmas, and we hope you have an amazing time with your family and friends. We hope to see you next week here at Discover. Blessings to all of you.